Now and Again is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage, Keanu, and more, head on over to cageclub.me. That is cageclub.me. Please play this song on the radio. Please play this song on the radio. Guys, gals, non-binary pals, welcome back to the program. It's your Now and Again for March 2019, and we are dialing it all the way back to July of 2006. I'm your host, Chris Podcasts. With me, as always, Miss New Booty himself, Nico Vasillo. Nico, how are you? You know, I gotta be real. That was the best intro for anything ever. Uh, non-binary pals, I love that. That's super great. I'm here, happy to be here. You know, I'm on so many... I swear to God, I actually... Uh, last month? Well, no, two months ago, I guess. I tied the record for most ever episodes in a single month um on the the network yeah actually i think i beat it no i did Uh, beat it i'm second only to joey now i'm so happy to be on this show where i do jack shit i barely do (laughs) research for this because i already have it all in hand i have to watch a movie and then do six hours of research for every episode of mcu i have to read like 400 pages of comics and review people's notes and make sure we all understood the plot the same for every episode of hexes for podcast i come here i get out my weed i lay back i have fun so it's a really different experience for me to be on this show, and I think it's a lot of fun, and I'm just so excited to be here. I don't know if you can hear the relief in my smile, but like, I'm here to have a good time. <laughs> here for a good time, not a long time. Unfortunately, with this track listing, I, I feel like it felt, uh, you know, it, it says that now 22 is 73 minutes long, and I swear it felt like it was about 730 minutes long. Yeah, I really, this was like... um What's that movie where, uh, what's that movie where the guy who's hot but skeevy has to cut off his own arm? Uh, oh, um, 27 hours or 127 hours? It's that. I felt like it was that, only I had to cut off both <laughs> arms by the end. With my teeth. Uh, initially I was like, initially I was like, Requiem for a Dream? <laughs> he doesn't really cut, cut his own ar- arm off there. I would just like to say, um, happy birthday to now. In the real world, now has just released. Now that's what I call music, volume sixty-nine in the U.S. I'm sure it's a very nice one. In about ten years, we'll get to it. We will uh, have the dumbest, memeiest episode while we are both uh, mostly underwater because the world is uh is is dying. So can I tell you a really funny joke about all my students? Whenever so, whenever anybody like, cause not my students, like, I really can't say it to my students, but like, whenever anybody who's like eighteen that I know, like my cousin, who's Mike, I have this cousin Mike, and he's the fucking coolest guy in the world. He's twenty two right now. But whenever he would say something like sixty nine, I would be like, yeah, you know what's a really sexy number? One sixty nine. And they'd be like, why? And I'd be like, because that's when you're sixty nine with somebody, and somebody has to sit on the sidelines and awkwardly watch. <laughs> 13 yeah, squared, baby. It. 13 squared. Someone's getting cucked. There, I worked it into every show this month. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> when I was younger, I don't know when 69 became like a thing that, that like I realized was like a meme. Uh, certainly not recently. Like it's become a meme more recently, but certainly not when I was like 11 or 12 and making my first AOL instant messenger screen name and putting my birthday at the end of it, which is June 9th. Um, so I'm pretty sure f- like everyone just thought I was a pervert for the longest time. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I used to have to really think to myself, wait a minute. Wait, when 
nope, that's Bert. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Like I have to like. <laughs> it would take me a minute because I was like, the other numbers aren't sexy at all unless he's like super into like <laughs> big ladies. I don't know. And huh? And yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I mean now, just every screen name is sixty nine four twenty, which it should be. You know, the sex number and the weed number, the best, the best numbers there are out there. Hell yeah! And whatever the number for sleeping, all there has to be like a like a police code. We have a person sleeping. Like whatever the police code for <laughs> sleeping is, that's the third best number. <laughs> I guess we're just gonna jump into this one. Uh, it's overall. I, I feel like they, they kind of try to change up the, the format that we've had on the now so far. We don't have that boring block in the middle of, uh, like bland R&B. We got bland, like white guy light rock that are clearly supposed to be like the next version of X band. Like tracks like nine through 13 are just in, it, it is a wasteland. It is like walking through a desert by the time. I got to track 12. I was seeing other artists who, who weren't, have never even been on a now, just a mirage in the desert of absolute ass. You know, I couldn't believe the number of songs that I had to play to remember because, like, I think some of the titles are even misleading. Like, this is worse than I remembered. Like, I thought there was going to be a bunch of songs I didn't remember. No, it's a bunch of songs I fucking remember and hate. There, are, there's two artists back to back towards the end that I, I thought they were just completely different bands. Like, I had no idea. I had an expectation going into it. I was like, oh, yeah, this artist, this is a pop artist. And then it was like a rock song. And I'm like, OK, I don't know anything. Yeah. And you know what? I really enjoyed that that um, that terrible the, the that song that's obviously by the other half of Taylor Swift's brain, um, Girl Next Door. Oh, my God. Uh, that, yes. I, All right. Well, we will get to that. I kept thinking that that was like a song that had possibly been written for Kelly Clarkson. And Kelly Clarkson was like, you literally can't be serious. And they were like, oh, I'm sorry. Um, did I did I do a did I do a no? Is this not good? You know what I mean? Like I sometimes think about the songs that make it onto these records. Like I I we've had conversations about I don't maybe love Rihanna's as an artist. I bizarrely love a lot of her songs, but I don't love her as an artist. And mm-hmm. I I think that oftentimes Rihanna is the worst part of her music. I think she is given out of this world production on some unbelievably great songwriting and she's unfortunately yeah. just not the world's greatest vocalist but a more powerful vocalist might overwhelm the song a really good example of how well written Rihanna songs are is even when they don't go to Rihanna they're still mega hits like We Can't Stop by Miley Cyrus no matter who sang that song it was going to be a number one period and uh, to, to kind of to kind of go where I'm going with this there's a lot of artists who I think release really really bad music despite being phenomenally talented like i don't think since breakaway there has been a defining kelly clarkson record i think she releases a lot of middling crap that she blows out of the water i think she rains fire with that voice she can sing the itsy bitsy spider and i'm wet but Mm. I feel like some of these now songs had to be some sort of like multi-deal package. Like, oh, right. Oh, yeah. We put this person on tour with that person and we really need that person's opening act to draw money because, hey, if the opening act isn't good, they're not filling the stands early, buying the concessions early, you're not booking that arena again. 
That's why you need a killer opening act for some of these artists, especially if the artist isn't seeing their their sales peak. And I don't think 2006 was almost any of the people on this record's best year, except possibly be except possibly Rihanna and T Pain. This is like mm. this is a well, no, Rihanna just kept getting more famous. For like Definitely not Rihanna. T Pain, I can I can also get on there with Kelly Clarkson too. Uh, I think Kelly Clarkson has yeah, you know, I think she comes and goes. But she kind of comes and goes in this really mercurial way. Sometimes I feel like Kelly Clarkson's quote-unquote over, though I don't really think she's over. But I sometimes think she's over, and then she releases a hit, and you can't get away from her for a couple of months, and the whole world is like, we love her! Show us those chipmunk cheeks, girl! And <laughs> she's like, I'm Kelly Clarkson! Reba McIntyre's my best friend! And out comes Kenan Thompson doing his impression of Reba. Have you ever seen this? Kenan Thompson's That's a re- impression No. He just literally, it is straight up Kenan Thompson in country western clothes, and he just goes, I'm Reba. That's it. That's literally the whole impression. And it's like my favorite impression of anyone anywhere. It's, it's so bad. It's so, so bad that it's perfect. And I just want, like, I have this mental image of, like, Kelly Clarkson and Kenan's Reba having, like, a buddy sitcom. Um, I kind of like what you said there, and I, we're not going to get to Kelly Clarkson for till probably the second half of this episode, but I, I like the idea, and I think this does check out, that the songwriting on Rihanna songs kind of elevates her, whereas Kelly Clarkson ends up kind of meeting her songs halfway because she's presenting it in such a powerful, um, well-done, just like you said, performing the shit out of a kind of way, but the the songwriting's not there. She's getting B-team songwriters for the most part, except for maybe like your, your Since You've Been Gone's and stuff like that, but she's, she's really elevating the material where the material is elevating Rihanna. Yeah, the material, I love that. The material is elevating Rihanna. And with S.O.S. by Rihanna. S.O.S. Please someone help me. I mean, this, for me, this is my first memory of Rihanna. I know we've done a couple of her tracks, but going back to 2006, where I am a, well, this is July, so I'm in the summer of... My discontent. Uh, between my sophomore and junior year of college, I think, and I'm working in an ice cream store in the mall, and I'm hearing a lot of, uh, I'm hearing, oh, jeez. Okay, so this, this summer I worked in a, in a concessions at a movie theater. The movie Across the Universe was coming out. And I heard that warbly, auto-tuned cover, like about 30 seconds of it, of, of Hey Jude, like every 15 minutes, five days a week. And I swear, it's incredible that I didn't just drive my car into a, into a pole at some point. Um, but besides that, I was hearing a lot of pop music. Uh, what's that? That's a very different ticket to ride. And uh, SOS was Rihanna's coming out party for me. This is the first time I've really noticed and heard and latched on to one of her songs. And I think part of that is because it is an extremely identifiable sample. And every single part of the song from verse to bridge to chorus to the woes are basically a chorus in and of themselves. It's, it's a great melody. It, it's, it's something you can jump on. Anyone can jump on and just get it by the first time they've heard it and sing along. And, you know, she's fine. I think you're right. Anyone could have done this song, but it is a perfectly crafted piece of pop music. And this might be my favorite Rihanna song. 
I actually think the best Rihanna is when Rihanna is not meant for the radio. Like, I think Rude Boy is just about the peak of Rihanna's uh, utilizing mm. what she does really brilliantly. Rihanna sells me on... I, I, I want to find a way to say this, like, because I know she's work. I make this point over and over again. We pick on her a lot, but Rihanna works harder than anyone else in music because Rihanna isn't a Kelly Clarkson. Kelly Clarkson opens her mouth and millions fall out. Rihanna has to seriously work 10 times harder for everything she gets because she's just not as naturally gifted. And hmm. I don't mean that as a as an outright insult. I mean it much more along the lines of one sec. Kevy, it's fine. You can cough. Okay, you're totally okay, sweetie pie. Poor Kevy started coughing and then got really upset because he was afraid it was going to like ruin the episode. Um No, it's He's in the background of every episode now. He's in every show. So, uh, Rihanna has to work 10 Hear times. more of Kevy coughing over on uh, mcu.html. Yeah, you can go listen to that great cough as the uh, the powerhouse of research that he puts in. Uh, Joey actually gave Kevo a compliment, which was Kevo puts in more research per episode of MCU, which is sometimes just half a movie, than Joey puts into whole shows he produces <laughs> for two years. It's crazy how much work he does. The notes we work from on MCU are just like, as a teacher, I, I couldn't be prouder of this man. But anyway... Um, Oh, he was listening still. He's adorable. So Rihanna has to work 10 times harder to get half as much credit as anyone else. And I think she kind of has that, like, she has that, I I feel like this is going to be insulting, and I don't want it to be insulting, but Rihanna is believably the young person discovered in a mall. She, to explain. she's accessibly real. Rihanna has no great get. Kelly Clarkson has that voice. John Mayer has the fact that he can shred guitar so well that Eric Clapton was like, God damn. You know, he has a get. Adele's get, it's in part her voice, but Adele's get is the power of the humanness of her songwriting. Whether or not you love Adele or you hate Adele or you have an issue with her peanut butter and jelly fetish, she has <laughs> a songwriting skill where that's the that's the definitive thing that changed for Adele. She was given more control of her songwriting, and suddenly she was able to showcase her voice and her attitude and her presence. Now, Rihanna isn't the same songwriter that an Adele is, so she has to do it all on her, uh, you know, with the help of her production team. When the production team highlights Rihanna's realism, right? One of the things that makes Rude Boy work so well is Rude Boy is not some great vocal performance, and it actually has a lot of kind of pedestrian tricks. It kind of does that, like, (sighs) thing over and over again, where it's that very breathy, sexy, kind of Aaliyah, maybe a little bit Janet. (sighs) There's something always very juvenile about Rihanna's songs, music, and performance, I don't know if it's that she emerged as a teenager and has grown up in front of us, but I never feel that Rihanna's songs are coming from a powerful woman. I feel they are coming from a a young performance. It might be that she just has a young voice. You know, John Mayer came out the gate with that scratchy rasp. So, and I'm just bringing him up because, uh, if I'm not mistaken, if this is 2006, John Mayer's continuum is literally breaking records right now. It's one of the most recognizable records in the world. That might be 2007, but Continuum is one of literally the most successful records 
for a decade. And that's why it's uh, coming to mind. We've also got John Mayer's stunt double at the end of this album, so. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like we are at a really interesting time. You said something, I believe it might have been in the best of episode, where you said the dynamic change in music has forced production to come up. And songwriting yeah. is unfortunately not the biggest focus right now. And it's unfortunate because I think songwriting is more important than production. Production comes and goes. Production is an element of its time. But there really is a classic form of songwriting that reemerges in every popular form of production. There is not a popular form of production that emerges in every era of songwriting. And so I think mm-hmm. we're in a pendulous situation where we're going to swing back to songwriting having more craftsmanship. And I do think, and I don't mean this in any form of like, it's the low form of the art or anything, but I think mumble rap is going to be one of the things that pushes us back there. As we're reaching a point where the lyrics and the content is becoming less important and just the sound is becoming important, there's going to be an emergence in sort of the uh, the, the, the counter of that, the anthema. Um in in or antithema in uh, the form of um, how popular we see acapella music being right now and layered vocal performance. I think there is a connection between the emergence of things like um, sing-off groups like Pentatonics. Uh, getting NBC specials and being able to release multiple albums a year and do world tours at Radio City. I think there is something to be said for this sort of dynamic balance of the two. And I think we're going to see a big shift because as we're hearing things like Imagine Dragons, who have been the, um, I guess, the arbiters of cool rock for a few years, start to fade into, well, they're old now. We're going to need to see something come and balance out the sound of rock, and I think it's going to be very songwriting heavy. Hmm. Interesting. Well, we'll see. Um, I kind of feel like rock may never come back to mainstream radio. Well, I don't think there's going to be radio. <laughs> well. No, I'm just being silly, but I think we're going to see some form of rock come back. For sure. <sighs> I, I just think it's going to sound like Imagine Dragons. Or 21 pilots, and no, I don't want it. I think there's going to be... Disco came back in the 90s. That's all. Disco came back. Something about Rihanna I think is interesting that you said is that... And and I was going to make this argument in the future, is I feel like Rihanna does have a confidence to her vocals, even though the vocals may not be performed like, you know, she doesn't perform the hell out of them like a Kelly Clarkson does. She's not belting it out. Um, Rihanna actually kind of reminds me a lot of a um, Kylie Minogue who maybe doesn't have the most powerful voice, but there's a confidence and a performative, I want to say like a character, but like a, um, a maturity, I want to say, to her performances that I think ties in with the videos as well, where I said back when we did Love at First Sight and Can't Get You Out of My Head, that Kylie Minogue, you know, there there's a gaze to the camera, but she's attacking the camera right back. And I feel like Rihanna in her prime with uh, your S&Ms, your Disturbias, uh, is kind of going to be the same way. And I, I feel like her image, what she um, what she exudes, that confidence that I guess maybe you can call it a swagger, as lame as that sounds. But I, I think that she does have that. And this is really the st- start of it she's not there yet but she's on her way to that peak uh the the first adjectives that came to my mind uh were sexually aggressive but i don't mean that in a negative way i mean that with like songs like snm um and and rude boy yeah i think you kind of get what i'm going with 
Yeah, rude boy, exactly. We're trying um, to say the same thing. We're so afraid of being offensive and trying to, to discuss the frankness of her sexuality because we don't want to boil her down to just that. We're saying it's something she does competently and powerfully. Yeah, oh, ex- exactly, absolutely. Like, I, I, I believe what she's... What the character in her songs are saying, even if though I'm not 100% sure, I believe Rihanna is saying it, but I, it, it works. And it, those songs tell a quick three minute story. They give you an idea. They are really well done. And I think SOS fits into, uh, into that mold as a prototype, as a, as a beta. And it's the first song we've seen that's really a sign of what is to come from her best stuff. I completely agree. I think we're going to have to put up with some unfaithful in there. Right, we're gonna have to put up with what I think is. So I famously say that Rihanna sings like an asshole. Uh, I want to expand the definition of musical mm-hmm. asshole a little bit. There are also assholes. <laughs> expand, expand that asshole. Right, we're gonna expand that asshole. We're gonna, uh, we're gonna gauge that shit. And here's what we're gonna say: There are asshole songs. Right, if your song is like, yeah. if your song in any way reminds me, and I'm the official arbiter of what is good and bad. If your song reminds yes. me in any way of Gloomy Sunday, I do, I have the right to punch you in the face, <laughs> and I just I have that right as an American. It's like if somebody gets Menomina stuck in your head, you have the right to punch Ooh. them in the face. Menomina, now you can all punch me in the face, right? So here's the thing. I think Unfaithful is an asshole song. I think it's Wicked Games by Chris Isaac. It's just one of those pieces of music that makes me angry. Like, inexplicably angry. Like, you know how the brown sound just makes you shit, right? (laughs) I feel that way about Love on the Brain by Rihanna. I feel that way about Unfaithful by Rihanna. I just can't help it. There's certain levels of dramatic that make me really, really angry. One of those songs mm. is actually on this record. Okay. The When we get to Bad Day by Daniel Powder, I oh. will explain how I worked at Coconuts, which was an FYE kind of store. And yeah. that song was on our sampler. Oof. And it was on every genre's sampler. So it played once an hour every single day. (sighs) Anyway. Condolences. Send help. Anything anything else about Rihanna? Yeah. Um, Sean Paul with Temperature. I thought this was a different song, and I don't know what song I thought it was. I can hear that song, but I, d- I don't know what it is or what any of the lyrics are to look up what song I thought it was. There's just a specific sound that I thought this song was, and it involved hand claps as part of the beat. Um, yeah, no, I clearly it was not this song. Give me the light, just give me the light and pass it. Pass another bottle of I don't think it's that one. Nico, you go, you go into the song while I try to do some Google Foo on what song I thought this was. You know, I think this song is an example of what made Sean Paul work. He is one of those guys who is good at being his culture for a mass of people who want that culture but are afraid of that culture's people. Mm. Right? Like, he is 100% straight up dance hall. He is true, crazy, intense, real dance hall. 
and he's a lot of fun, and you can enjoy Sean Paul from the comforts of your white home hmm. and never actually feel like you're going to smell like ganja. Okay. And I think that's why Sean Paul worked. I think he – not that by any means he's not talented enough to be that successful, but I feel that by – America accepted Sean Paul so they didn't have to accept a lot of dance hall artists. Okay. Because it's always that weird thing where one dance hall um, – one dance hall artist counts as all dance hall artists, and that's the only dance hall artist anybody can name. It's Sean Paul. Mm. And – that's not to say that he's the only talented dance hall artist in the world. That's not to say that he's the only dance hall artist whose music would thrive in America. That is to say that he right. is the dance hall artist that America has chosen as their catch-all for all dance hall music. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have a ton to say about this song. Uh, it, it sounds fine. The, the kind of lack of a beat reminds me of stuff we're hearing today a little bit. Yeah, I actually don't love that sound. I, I feel, I feel like. Is fine is actually going to be a lot of the songs on this one for me. I think I think this this whole now kind of range, ranges as an average from that was fine to that wasn't very good. Uh, like there's not a ton on here that makes me go either way. It's like the most mediocre, forgettable uh, now. Except uh, I really do enjoy "Riding" by Chameleon Air with Crazy Bone. This song was huge for a little while. This was one of those songs big enough to get a Weird Al parody. Uh, we haven't had too many of those on the nows. Chameleon Air, I think, had like two or three albums of really, really high quality hip hop starting around now, going through about 2008 or 2009. This will be his biggest hit, his most mainstream hit. Um, and it's nice to have some space between it, which has been something I've said about a couple of now songs from around this era. It's nice to come back to uh, when I don't hear it every you know, 45 minutes. Uh, still fun. Um, Chameleoner has a little bit of a sense of humor to him, but uh, he's got a great flow. He's got great beats, great production, uh, different sound than a lot of the bling rap that was going on at this time. And uh, it, it's a breath of fresh air on these nows as well. I just don't think it's aged well, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, it's become a meme a little bit. Yeah. I actually love what you said. And you said it was totally different than the bling rap at its time. And I agree. But other things have done a similar sound since in a way that leaves me feeling like – I don't know. It's when I feel bad when I'm like, no, other things did it, uh, did it better. I think Faith No More's Epic is a song that is like required listening for all people. You don't have to like it. You don't even need to think it's a good piece of music, but you need to recognize that nothing on the radio had ever sounded that like that. True. So many bands have done Faith No More so much better than Faith No More can <laughs> that you wind up being like, yeah, you just need to know this. You don't – it's not on the test. You know, I was an art history minor and, uh, you know, every good art history teacher really does say, look, you just need to know these. I'm not going to test you on these. I don't actually care about this. You just need to know it if you see it. And that's – kind of how I feel about riding. You just need mm. to be able to pay honest respect to the people that came before, the people that helped pave the way for a new sound. I do think that Raiden is a song whose influence stretches back earlier. I think there's kind of like, um, there's like a Dre to the production, almost. You know what I mean? Okay. Right? It's it's really rooted in what came before it, and then I think a lot sounds like it afterward. 
I would just like to say the song that I thought Temperature was at first that I've now discovered. I thought Temperature was the just the chorus of Sean Paul's Get Busy all the way oh, through. Oh, Get Busy. Um, was, yeah, I love that song. Sexy Ladies Wanna... Okay, so that's that's where I was that whole time. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a great song. That's a much better song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a Agreed. much, much Agreed. better I was, song. I was pretty disappointed. This, you know, this uh, to talk about a guy that we'll probably never talk about on the show, and I, I respect him, and I think everyone has that phase maybe when they're like 10. This song kind of marked the second wave of like that of Weird Al's maybe the third wave even of Weird Al's career like this white and nerdy was like a huge comeback for you that know, guy Weird Al yeah and, he's uh, indestructible man he's he like fa- he's like Gloria Stefan yeah he, he's like a guy who's made for YouTube and I think he's kind of done but I mean YouTube is like full of just people doing Weird Al like he he invented a genre essentially and if he didn't he, if he didn't invent it I mean people were singing parodies yeah because there was like Hello Mudda Hello Father like Hello Mudda Hello Father that that thing yeah right um and that guy had a had a career he, he just he just did it in a way that like no one ever could like he he is the godfather of of the the parody song and even like his really impressive style parodies that are just like really great interpretations of a band's sound in in an original song just like it kind of mind-blowing what what he can do and how he's done that for god almost 40 years now and it's just still kind of like really impressive when he does come around and i think what's funny is he's a really he's got a really great sense of humor about uh, cuz i i agree with you i grew up in love with weird al's music to be honest um as an adult i probably don't ever listen on purpose exactly yeah as a kid i definitely listened a lot it was something that was fun to listen to and it wasn't inappropriate there was never a point where my parents were going to have to be like no you're in trouble for listening to that and that was always like right. a thing you never wanted mom and dad to come in and be like no I think his career goes back to the 70s like early 80s he's had like like a surgeon yeah. yabba dabba do now he, I do agree that his um, style parodies are just as impressive as his direct song parodies I think one of the things that Weird Al suffers from is one of the things that made him work in the 80s. In the 80s, that he had an accordion and did polka gave him uh, tension in a positive way, and now it makes him fucking weird. And that's <laughs> part of it. Ha- his gimmick that got him in, that helped him create that entire genre, is also sort of the gimmick that had to drive him out. He was so niche, and he rose to prominence being so niche, you know? Not a lot of people can do, like, a surgeon, you know? There were there were ones that, like, were absolutely handed to him. Uh, I'm pretty sure Dire Straits' Money for Nothing, while he... His was about the Beverly Hillbillies. Um Okay. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> so, well, money for nothing. But every now and then he'll dig so deep and like, like he'll take MacArthur Park and it seems obvious it's like to make it Jurassic Park, but like fucking MacArthur Park, <laughs> 20 years past MacArthur Park and making it into such a good song like that and like of its time. Like, I can't believe we're still fucking discussing MacArthur Park. He does, he, he, well, <laughs> he does take the easy swing sometimes, but sometimes he digs deep and it's like, you can see there is like a deep treasure trove of like, of musical knowledge in that guy. Can you imagine what would happen if he actually wrote like serious music? <sighs> nah, <laughs> I can't. I can't picture it. 
yeah, I wonder how that would I wonder how that would go. He's probably got like a prince-esque vault of unreleased original music that when he dies will be released. Or maybe not. Maybe he just doesn't bother. I don't know. No, I bet he does. I bet he does. And I bet we're going to get these like Philip Glassian kind of like, oh yeah, this is a an 18-part Wagner meets Philip Glass interpretation of Antigone, but the whole thing is done to a polka, and it stars a chicken! And, <laughs> like, I think that's just gonna be what happens. <sighs> um, what the fuck is next? Uh, Beyonce. Ch- Anything not to talk about this really mediocre Beyonce song. Yeah, so Beyonce's check on it. Um, like my impatient, more patient, you take my, get you in more places. You can't be abrasive, have to know the pace, I let you get up on it. You gotta make a promise that you gon' put it on me. I feel like I might have a massive gap in my Beyonce, like, memory slash knowledge, because Crazy in Love happened, we know that, the greatest song of the 2000s, according to uh, Rolling Stone, which is consistently wrong, and when does Irreplaceable happen? That is right around now, right? It's a little bit later, and I only know that because my husband and I were already friends when it came out. And that was 2007. Okay, so 2007 is, is exactly when I would have guessed that song came out. So we're right around there. So I would say there's a massive gap in my Beyonce. Like, my, my, my hopscotch of Beyonce knowledge goes from Crazy in Love to Irreplaceable to Single Ladies. And I couldn't tell you anything that happened in between those. Interesting. And with songs like this, it's not a surprise why. It's not even, like, the worst Beyonce no. song. It's just not a great Beyonce song. Let's say it's just not a great song. Like, this is really average, you know? Beyonce was not immune to having random crap music. Her voice sounds great. Um, Production is, like, okay. It's just, like, not a really interesting song. There's not a lot going on. There's not a lot of interesting vocal stuff, despite the fact that she does sound, you know, Beyonce-level good. Like, she's always going to be at least at, like, a seven. And she's, you know, exceeding that on this one. It's just... Nothing's really going on. And uh, and she's only on it for like, I don't know, maybe not counting courses, like a minute and change before guest stars come in. And it's just like, it's, I don't know. It feels like a, uh, it feels like a fourth single off of an album kind of song, you know? I do. That makes me wonder what number single it was. Yeah. Hold on. Let's find out. Yeah, go for it. I couldn't even tell you what Beyonce album this is off of. This is off of the album Number Ones. This was an original additional song contributed to Destiny's Child number ones, which had Stand Up for Love and Check on It. This, let's take a look. Is is, Stand Up for Love. Is another member of Destiny's Child on this this song? song? Are they doing backups? Is, wait, jump to like 125 on this track. Is that Kelly Rowland? Is this a Destiny's Child song that's just masquerading as a Beyonce song? No, this song is specifically credited as Beyonce and was written and produced by Beyonce. Okay. This song is explicitly credited as not Destiny's Child. Okay, so she just just sounds a lot like it. Okay. But yeah, she's only she's only on the song till about Two minutes, and then you get guest spots, and then it's just outro chorus. It's 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 a lazy effort. It's it. You know what? Um, yeah, I said it was a fourth single kind of song, but extra song on a 
on a compilation kind of a greatest hits thing sounds even more right. Yeah, and even it's even beyond extra song on a compilation. It's Beyonce song added to a Destiny's Child's greatest hits. Uh, it feels sloppy and lazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we're doing uh, the old uh, Skipperino on a uh, piece of shit and uh, jumping to Bubba Sparks with Miss New Booty. Uh, booty, 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 booty rocking everywhere. Uh, this song, I think I've heard that drop like more than I have heard the full song. Uh, but Bubba Sparks is like, he's, he, he had his moment, uh, you know, large white guy rapper uh, who had uh, some self-awareness and was goofy. And, you know, I, I don't think I could tell apart Miss New Booty from like Back in the Mud or something like that. They're all kind of same-ish, but they're, they're fun. I'm not going to go out of my way to listen to them. No, and, you know, Bubba Sparks is somebody who requires the sense of humor for it to work. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't accept that he thinks he's funny too, it's not going to work. And that's part of what I think maybe keeps him, I wouldn't call him timeless, but well aging. Yes. I, I, think, I get you. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Like, it, this didn't feel embarrassing to listen to, and it didn't feel like T-Pain's I'm Love with a Stripper, uh, like, firmly rooted in 2006. And if you take it out of 2006, it bursts into flames like a vampire being dragged into the sun. A hundred percent. That's really... Because it's not even a great piece of music. No. Like, we're saying the humor is what makes it work. It's definitely not a great piece of music. No. It's it's a fun piece of music, and that's allowed sometimes. Yeah, no, you're allowed to have fun. Not every song needs to, you know, be. In, we're never complaining that songs are. It's a it's a fucking pop podcast. We know <laughs> that songs are going to be dumb sometimes. Right. The issue is when they clearly don't put in any effort whatsoever. Exactly. There's definitely effort in "I'm in Love with a Stripper" I'm in love and. With a stripper. This is kind of what I was saying the last T-Pain song we had. This is kind of the, the – this is the sound that I expect out of T-Pain. This is actually a little underproduced for a T-Pain song, which surprised me. <sighs> a song called I'm in Love with a Stripper, like, I feel like Bubba Sparks could make it work a little bit. Like, there would be a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek there. There would be a little self-deprecation maybe. Uh, it wouldn't be quite so self-serious as a song. Like, I feel like this is this is a, a, a contrasting song. There's goofiness to it, but it's not there. Like, it's being performed completely sincerely. It's like, a, it'd be like Michael Caine doing The Room. Which, you know, I actually think that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because uh, I can uh, even imagine, I can just... You don't need to I convince just, me. I just see him being, no, for real, I think Michael Caine doing The Room would be great. Like, I, I'm fed up with this world. I, I'm going to end it now. And, like, I just feel like his The Room would be so British and dry. Oh, my God. I love it so much. And now I want him doing Room combined with The Room. Well, that that's shocking that that hasn't happened yet. Like, just a trailer mashup of, of Room and The Room. How is that not a thing? That makes the whole, we're pregnant thing very <laughs> different. Oh, <laughs> so. uh, um... I don't know, like, I, I want to like this song, and I just, I don't. Because I think T-Pain is, like, is fine, and I have nothing against him. He's done a couple of things that I'll always be like, yeah, T-Pain is fine in my book. But 
I don't know, man. This song, this is one of those songs I made this, this album feel like it was 20 minutes longer than it should have been. This song just keeps going and going and going with a really boring, like underplayed, underperformed chorus that just jumps from like kind of shitty rap verse to shitty rap verse. I appreciate and support anyone saying something like T-Pain's okay in my book. I think T-Pain is representative of, I don't necessarily want to say, uh, a greater lack of effort, Mm. but there is, I I do just want to check in a little bit with our relationship with (laughs) Auto-Tune and T-Pain's involvement with that. Mm -hmm. Auto-Tune has always been around. Like, I mean, Auto-Tune goes back a great number of years. Right. People who are under the impression that Auto-Tune was invented for T-Pain or that T-Pain invented Auto-Tune, no. T-Pain used it to stylize, like, <clears throat> okay, so you know how we all have that friend who's like, guys, take a look at this picture of me. And when you look at it, it's just like looking at the sun and you're like, I don't see you. My phone, My phone broke. I'm sorry. And they're like, no, that's me. And you're like, no, this is a giant white blur. And they're like, no, no, I just, I used some filters. And I just like washed out the lines and stuff. That's, that's using auto-tune. That is using auto-tune at this level. I understand it's a stylistic choice to make the music sound a certain way. But it unfortunately hinders the efficacy of the songs themselves. You know what I mean? There is something about... All of the music being um, underwater and all super auto-tuned that makes T-Pain, for me, have no – he's just ill-effective. Right. Well, here's the thing about auto-tune, right? If that makes any sense. Like, like just the name auto-tune implies that you are – that it's there as a band-aid, that you're using it to fix a shitty singer. And there's definitely instances of that being the case, both live and recorded. Which recorded, that's, that's mind boggling, but it certainly does exist. But as, as an instrument, as something that's no different than slapping on some reverb or a phaser or distortion even, uh, you know, Daft Punk used it extremely well. Um, I think most famously, even probably to date, including t- the T-Pain world, I think Shares Believe probably has the most famous use of autotune as a production technique versus a crutch. Um, so like it's been around, uh, but T-Pain, <laughs> like, I don't even know if he uses it as a production technique or a crutch or both. It might be probably a little bit of both. And I, I really am so, so glad that you were able to, like, I really, you really hit it on the head for me. Thank you for delineating it so clearly. I feel that shares believe it is audibly production effect. Yeah. I don't think it sounds at all like her notes had to be fixed. It's time to bring it up, you guys. Everybody drink at this point. I'm so sorry. You all have liver failure. But Britney Spears' auto-tune yeah. on Alien, that is an example mm-hmm. of not just a Band-Aid. That is – I mean, I, I that's the prosthetic limb. Yeah. That is – they literally said she's not coming close to the notes – and I appreciate what the producer said. And again, I'm going to jump in there. Phenomenal mom. Um, 
a great example of a person who turned their life around. Person who is incredibly dedicated to choreography as a piece of the music. Again, people like Janet Jackson and Britney Spears actually use choreography like lyrics. That The choreography doesn't change over the course of 30 years for Janet Jackson. The choreography has not changed because just a couple of days ago, seriously, Britney Spears celebrated the 20th anniversary of Baby One More Time. Wow. Just, just a few days ago. And as of recording this, it was sometime in late January and it's been 20 years and she wrote a really lovely post about it. Actually, it was like, I never could have imagined that this would have happened when I recorded this record. Uh, having met all of you I've met and the support you've all given me, I can't wait to see what the next 20 years holds for this record. Like, you know, she's really come to an amazing place about herself, her career, who everything, but there is no, I don't accept that they Unless somebody in that recording studio really fucking hated her, there is no reason to have kept that take unless you used that take in some capacity. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a shockingly bad everything. It it's is just a cut shockingly that is just, bad. It's it's so amateur. It sounds like it's it's Friday level kind of shit, man. Like that is, whew, whew. Uh, yeah. Um, like some other examples, I think of auto tune being used. Uh, see, I think again, I think T Pain is like halfway between the crutch and the. The, maybe leading a little bit more towards the crush and then like realize that he could just kind of like it's like when you trip and you're like oh no I totally like meant to do that I was I was making a joke <laughs> I feel like that's kind of T-Pain's career with autotune um, the other big example of it I can think of is Kanye West's 808s and Heartbreaks which I think is again a little bit of both but also he was doing something on that album that he's never done again and I think there was a, an aspect of what he was going for was using it as uh, this kind of experimental tool um, with his, his what, whatever you'd want to call it, his, his R&B album or whatever you want to call it. Everything by Daft Punk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's like around the world. Um, Everything by Daft Punk is drowning yep. in mm-hmm. And that's a great, great use of it as a tool. And, and when you hear auto-tune live, when you can hear it shifting, like it's like a tug of war. Like it's pulling a note back to to where it should be and it it sounds like a robot is just is like bursting out of that singer's throat like it's wild when you hear it used live and i think it's used less and less now around this time it was being used more to correct live but i think it got really obvious because of people hey you know what there i've just i've just made my mind like from that sentence i've decided that t-pain is good now because his overuse of autotune put it in everybody's head and now performers live can't use it as a crutch as much uh, because everyone knows what it sounds like, and if they use it live, people will laugh at them and call them out for it. So I've just I've just decided I love T-Pain. Okay, you know what? And that's even... I'm going to try not to... After I've kind of refused to listen to Last now, because I, like, try and think back on how hysterical <laughs> I became about Mariah Carey, and I'm like... This is not good. So that's with about that's with about four and a half minutes of that cut as well. Oh, oh, oh my! So um, I <laughs> yeah. I can't know then if the shit about Angel Advocate <laughs> made it. But Mariah Carey released an album called Memoirs of an Imperfect Angel, and beyond the fact that the title is absolutely horrible, she released a <laughs> intent. That's a lifetime ass title. You know what? She she started out with like um, generic white woman album titles, right? It's it's eponymous, which is fine. Everybody does an eponymous at some point. And then it's Emotion, Music Box. Ugh, who would name an album Emotion? Right? 
right? It's generic white lady stuff. <laughs> um, it's emotion. <laughs> it's music box, daydream, butterfly, rainbow, glitter, charm bracelet. And this is just a list of tattoos on a white girl named like Rebecca. And all of them are actually Chinese characters that say something slightly off, like <laughs> Cat of the Moon and stuff. Rain broom. So, so um, fast forward, she has that psychological break. She comes back. She reinvents her career. And she releases The Emancipation of Mimi. Okay, this is kind of wordy, but it theoretically works for what she's going for. E equals MC squared. Well, now we're getting into puns. And I'm not crazy about Mariah <laughs> Carey naming records punny things. And then she releases Memoirs of an Imperfect Angel. And everybody's like, hold up, you're turning into an asshole. And then the next thing you know, she releases me. I am Mimi, the elusive Chanteuse. And you just give up on oh, trying yes, to that convince is... her of anything. Yeah, that really is an <laughs> album title. Can... <laughs> This this uh, this podcast is now called uh, now that's what I call music the elusive podcast. Yes, this is the elusive podcast, and so she wanted to release. So the point of Memoirs of an Imperfect Angel was there was a character she was playing that was vaguely herself, with all of her friends name dropping them by name, and she's she walks in on. Okay, I'm not even kidding. She walks in on the guy from, if I'm not mistaken, it's the guy from Trapped in the Closet. Because it's R. Kelly. He co-wrote the opening track, and he's on it and stuff. Okay. And she walks in on this dude, and she knows he was cheating, so she just has to go to her friend's house because that's what she's got to do. And then he won't stop trying to get her, and she's like, why is he so obsessed with me? And the whole record is like this chick going through her feels, and it ends on an absurdly bad cover of I Want to Know What Love Is. (laughs) Oh my god, I know! So, there was gonna be a uh, what, what she called a mirror record, and this is actually really cool, called Angel Advocate, and it was going to be each one of the songs from the point of view of the friend she was staying with to try and deal with her breakup and it was each song reinterpreted as a duet or featuring a guest spot rapper and okay it, it was actually really fucking cool because every song was either completely remixed or completely rewritten or the contribution changed everything um that's where the Nicki Minaj rap on about my face comes from and i bring this up because T-Pain is on a song called Candy Bling and he's okay. on a remix of it. And his remix of it is so completely different. Because the song itself is one of my favorite Mariah songs from that period. It's this slow, smooth, cool, very, ooh, yeah, kind of thing. And then he comes in, and immediately it's like heavily auto-tuned synths. Mm. Wham! 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 And he comes in, and he starts singing the dumbest fucking lyrics but they're so stupid, I find them endearing. He's like, and we would ball all over the mall. And, like, it's so bad. But it's endearing because I think T-Pain is having a good time. I yeah, actually just think he's having is, a good time. Having a good time is very T-Pain, yeah. And it's, it's, it's just so funny because we're, we just didn't talk about the piece of shit and then we just didn't talk about the other piece of shit and it's all so connected. Mm. Keep coming back to shit. Keep circling the drain. Speaking of shit, if everybody isn't watching Shit's Creek, I don't know how to help you. 
Just saying. Just I plug it on every show I can. Everybody needs to watch Shit's Creek. It's like the best show. I uh, actually have a a. Even though I've never seen that show, uh, I just in in my research I discovered a Shit's Creek connection for later on in this episode. Um, Dude, that's awesome! We'll oh yes, 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 yes! No, no, totally, one hundred percent. Yeah, I was gonna bring that up too. Yeah. Um, three. Speaking of dumb lyrics, uh, three six mafias popped my collar. Not as good as the last Three Six Mafia song. Uh, excuse me, the Oscar award-winning Three Six Mafia. This song is like there's no dynamics to it. It's just it's mercifully short. It's two fifty, but it, there's it's just straight through it, like the same volume, the same tempo, the same dynamics, um, the same timber. It's just it just sounds the same all the way through, and it, it becomes this this mess. They're just kind of waiting for the chorus that has a very memorable chorus, even though it's like five words over and over again. It is silly and memorable, but like the song as a whole is just like eh, it's it's a board, it's a flat wooden table of a song. It sounds to me like somebody paid DMX to come in and do eight bars, then they decided not to use the DMX part and build a whole song out of it. I don't know why, but I just keep thinking that in my head that I'm like, you know, DMX would not enough dog barks. <laughs> well, they cut him. That's what I'm saying. I, I I feel like DMX would have made a lot of sense. Like, if they extended this song, there would be room for specifically DMX to come in. I don't know why. The uh, the the 20-year anniversary-ish uh, remake of Resident Evil 2 came out a couple of weeks ago. Yes, it did. And uh, there's a character in it called Mr. X who hunts you down throughout the game. It's, if you play the PC version, you could download a mod that changes his his footsteps, which is like the the thing that makes you know whether or not he's approaching, to uh, to X go and give it to you, is awesome. As he just like kicks through a door and punches you in the face to X go and give it to you. And uh, first we're gonna rock, then we're gonna roll, and it's uh, it's very very good, very very fun. There's videos of that you can find. Check the liner notes. I'll try to remember to put that in there. When you're mad by Neo is uh, barely a song. Bang, when you get to fucking cussing. Yelling and throwing things, I just wanna eat you up. I don't mean no disrespect when uh, I start It's very, very stupid, and it's very, very boring, and it's uh, really not even sung, and it's not good. You know, I tend to think every song by Neo is a is a 9 out of 10. It doesn't take a lot of work for me to fall in love with a Neo song. I even like really? bad Neo songs. I'm easily swayed. I think his voice is silk. The way he rehearses to be able to perform live exactly how he sounds on his records is he performs his songs on a treadmill. Okay. He literally he literally gets on a treadmill and sings the song while jogging so that there's no chance he can't dance while singing. Oh, okay. He is a That's fucking neat. and he writes. He writes hundreds of songs a year. Neo makes more money off of songs you've never heard of on other people's albums than you'll ever see in your lifetime, right? And this is a really insane example of when nows are just buying up catalogs. This mm. is a bad Neo song. That okay. was a bad Beyonce song earlier. Right. This isn't a great 3-6 Mafia song. 
Now is just trying to get every single motherfucking thing they can get their hands on and pack it down their throats. The problem is they went to four a year. They went to four a year regardless of whether or not there were four sets of hits a year. Now didn't say, wow, music is getting more popular than ever. Is everybody noticing how like music used to only be some places and now it's like everywhere? It's weird how popular music's getting. Do you guys think we can get another now out of that? That's not what they said. They said three nows are selling a couple of million a year. I bet if we push it to four, we keep making money. Oh, that seems to be our breaking point. I don't think five would make money. But let's not be fooled. There are 12 nows a year. There really are. For a number of years in a row, there were 12 nows a year. There would be a Christmas, a country, a rock... A Disney, a kids, a Latin music, a dance music, a rock music. There would be eight in a year that were not the standard. And then there would be four of the nows. They were producing between, like, I think one year it was nine, one year it was eight, one year it was ten, one year it was twelve. They're producing these at, 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 at such a psychotic clip, they're not really worried that everything on it is a hit. They're just worried that every name on there has a hit. Mm. Either the song is yeah. recognizable or the artist. Yeah, it's just name yeah, recognition. Just one or the other. There's, it's the hot crazy scale, right? It's, you know, you're willing to put up with a certain amount of each. All right, I don't need to know every song on here as long as I know every artist or every song. <sighs> well, that was, that was the front half of now 22 and honestly it don't get better than that uh it's 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 a real mess from there but that is for side b nico where can people find you well you guys can find me right now on kickstarter we are running forever for the first time ever kid riot's first ever kickstarter we have a riot badge enamel pin available on kickstarter you want to check it out notice why i keep saying kickstarter you can also check out my awesome comic at kidriotcomics.com or my music at facebook.com slash action duo don't forget to check me out on all the other amazing shows here on the network that joey and mike are crazy or nice or blind enough to let me be on like now uh now we know this is that one so i don't need to plug that one here like x is for podcast where i talk about comic books me talk very good or mcu.html where my husband does everything and i (laughs) get to just stand in awe of his genius uh i'm also a thirst trap in uh paris skimpy briefs on instagram at nico action that's n-i-c-o-a-c-t-i-o-n i saw that it just dropped so i only saw the um i saw that it just dropped so i only saw the summary of it but looks like y'all aren't too big a fans of age of ultron which is the only correct opinion to have of that movie you know, there's a million things. I, I'll just say it really quick. I'm so glad that you brought it up. The hugest problem with Age of Ultron is something that we really enjoy that um, Joey has not asked us to censor in the least. The reason we wanted to do MCU is it all came from an idea. We said, do you see you in the MCU? Is this push for right. diversity in superhero movies really doing anything? And in the first Avengers movie, there is reasonably speaking six Avengers and five of them are white dudes and one of them is a white woman in the second movie they assemble a whole lot of avengers or avenger types in a room and sure there's like five white dudes but there are three women of color there are three men of color it's uh the the white dudes are actually talking about their girlfriends who are not in the scene because they're not in the film and they're literally boasting about which of their science girlfriends is smarter 
they make huge strides to fix things. But the ultimate point of Age of Ultron is if you can't have heteronormative babies in a heteronormative lifestyle, you're a bad person. That is literally an overwhelming theme of that movie. Like the original woman of color character, Dr. Helen Cho, Ultron abducts her so that she can make a machine that will grow him a new body, and he forces her through mind control. He literally mind controls her into making him a baby. He literally rapes the only original woman of color in this movie into making him a baby. There are so many flawed ideas in this movie, and the whole thing drips and smacks of Joss Whedon having some sort of psychological reaction to the ramifications of being a parent on the world stage for the first time. Buffy was on the world stage, Joss wasn't. Avengers put him on the world stage, and he tried in so many ways to recreate the exact same movie as Avengers Assemble, which is a hell of a movie, even if it's from a very limited scope, and Age of Ultron is just like a cisgender normative nightmare. With really good scenes. Of big men. Hell of a movie from a limited scope is a great, like, quick review of the first Avengers movie. That's the best and most succinct explanation of that movie I've ever heard. But yeah, so if you liked that, go check out uh, mcu.html. I'm at Chris Podcasts on Twitter. I'll be dipping into the the, the Tom Tom Club. What <laughs> the the Hanks Cruz saga uh, over uh, <laughs> Joey and Mike. I don't know. What are they even calling it this time? Um, but I'll be over there and um, that, oh, that they should be, call it Hanky Panky. Yeah, <laughs> I will be over there talking uh, Scientology and getting my Thetans read um, and then also being on the Tom Hanks movie Mazes and Monsters, I think it's called, which is like a D&D thing. Um, so I'm just going to be there like a huge fucking nerd reading my DMs guide uh, and explaining why everything is uh, is wrong about that movie. Actually, I haven't even watched it yet or recorded it yet, but I'm very excited to. Don't know if it's out by now, but uh, check out that show in general because Tom Hanks and Tom Cruise, like you might not like all their movies, but they're pretty fucking great. The Cage Club Network's Patreon, patreon.com slash cage club and throw Joey some beer money. Keep keep the keep the windows up. Uh, keep the uh, keep the lights on, you know, and uh, <laughs> I better say, keep the windows fogged up. Keep keep the lights on and keep the car fogged up. <laughs> um, and get in the garage and keep the motor running. <laughs> uh, well, on that note, uh, okay. Until next time, with a bunch of boring white dudes, we will catch you on the flip side. Uh, ever since I can remember, I've been popping my collar, popping, popping my collar, popping, popping my collar. Uh, ever since I can remember, I've been working these, then they better put my money in my hand, in my hand. Uh, ever since I can remember, I've been popping my collar, popping, popping my collar, popping, popping my collar. Uh, ever since I can remember, I've been working these, then they better put my money in my hand, in my hand. I look like sick or sick Cheese, but the bees in my hand, wicker, but the cutter, a track, and